Welcome to episode 248 of Destination Linux. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Michael, and with me today we have Ryan, Jill, and Noah. And also with us just off camera but piped in directly from Jitsi is our glorious community of fact-checking, ego-busting patrons. And on this week's episode of Destination Linux, we're going to be sharing an exclusive interview with, it, with Pine64, and they have yet another amazing product to release. Then we're going to be talking about the NTFS improvements coming to the Linux kernel, and plus we also have our tips, tricks, and software picks, all this and so much more coming up right now on Destination Linux. Before we get started this week, I just want to do a quick follow-up from last week's episode. We talked about how monetization that is, is an important piece of uh, open source software and also just in general and uh, you know creating something that's worthwhile. And we talked about Wikipedia as an example of you know they're doing it the right way where they ask you on a consistent basis. And it just so happened that two days later, I got an email from Wikipedia saying, hey, would you like to donate this year? They're listening... Well, you know, I was playing with F-Droid and I found this amazing keyboard app in F-Droid that I wanted to use as kind of a privacy thing because you don't want to, I don't want to use like Google's keyboard and stuff because they're just going to mm -hmm. track everything yeah. I'm typing, right? <laughs> but I found this amazing one and I love that they have buy the, the creator coffee option right at the bottom that is cool. of the apps and it was so easy. I could just send them five bucks, which I would pay for an app like that or 10 bucks, whatever you want to do. I sent five bucks to the person that created it. And boom, I'm able to donate to a project that helped me be able to do something by having a more privacy-focused keyboard out there. So I love this type of donation stuff, and I look for it. And sometimes developers don't list that stuff, but I right. like applications like F-Droid where they make it super easy. And yes, Wikipedia is very good at harassing you about getting those donations, but I'm okay with that because I want to keep right. things like Wikipedia free. So I, I, I'm totally okay yeah. with it. I just thought it was funny because it was like... Are you listening? Because you totally got me. Because I just said I would every time you email me. And then you immediately email me. <laughs> They're always listening. Right. <laughs> you know who else is listening, Michael, is our community. We have community feedback this week. And Frank writes us to say, Hi, folks. I recently discovered your podcast. And I love it. It's very entertaining and informative, even if much of it goes over my head. But while I'm not quite your target audience, I do love sitting in on the conversation. I actually think you are our target audience. We you want are. everybody listening to this show. Despite being a Linux user since the early 2000s, I don't have much knowledge, interest with what goes on under the hood. So while I'm not afraid of the command line, if there's a GUI, that's where I'm going. I think that's the type of user the Linux community needs to accept if they want to expand Linux desktop adoption. Not seeing them as noobs on the way to becoming pseudo gurus, but people who will only ever want to just use their computers. And I've mm. seen huge advancements in how easy Linux is to use since my early experience. Shout out to Yast. It's truly humbling to think of the massive contributions the army of open source developers have made, and I think we're headed in the right direction. For example, I just bought a new mouse and wondered how I could map all these extra buttons, which leads me to X bind keys, grumble, grumble command line. But I see KDE is talking about a solution that sounds perfect for a user only Linux, uh, Linux only user. But this plus needing to set up a game controller makes me wonder about input device support in Linux. Is it keeping up with the advancements in gaming? Perhaps you could talk about that in the podcast. Lastly, when you talk about adoption Linux desktop, I think you missed talking about Microsoft Office. Usually my recommendation about switching to Linux are met with questions. Will it run Excel or Word? I don't think a lot of people care even think about their OS. It's the program they're familiar with that hold them to Windows. Frank, I love this email. There is so much. We could do a whole show on some of the topics yeah. that you brought <laughs> up here, honestly, individually, because a lot of them are huge in themselves. Number one, yes, I think the GUI is amazing and has come a huge has just made huge strides forward in Linux in just the four or five years I've been in Linux. And there are a lot of applications that even as somebody like myself, who eventually, when I started in Linux, I wanted everything a GUI, then I wanted everything terminal, but there's some applications I just, I still want a GUI to this day. I prefer looking at a GUI and seeing what's happening there. It's just easier if I'm being lazy on the couch or something like that, maybe I don't want to type commands at that moment. So I think GUIs are great and there's nothing wrong with them. And if somebody's shaming you for using a GUI, well, that's on them. That's their problem. I think what a lot of people actually are trying to do is say, hey, the terminal is really fast and you can have a lot more control over things and it's a really cool thing to learn. I think that's what they're trying to say, but sometimes it may come across as like shaming or don't use the GUI. 
for some, and then there's probably just some people who are jerks, but you can ignore them. Yeah. And on the other thing about input control and stuff, this is what I've talked about a long time about all of the different hardware vendors and manufacturers making their equipment work out of the box by baking things into the Linux kernel. For a while there, we were covering all the Linux kernel releases and it was like Logitech and Razer and all these companies coming in, releasing devices that worked out of the box within Linux. And this is really cool stuff to see. I've used the Xbox controller. I've utilized uh, the Xbox 360, the Xbox One controller, the PS4 controller. But Michael, you've done PS5 controller, I believe, as well. Like, yep. There's a lot of support here in your question about game controllers. The effort done into the game controllers is really cool. And the Xbox, mm -hmm. uh, I will say, has had the most support for a very long time, whether you have an Xbox 360 controller or an Xbox Core controller. Uh, I've used both of them. And they they work just fine because essentially the the kernel is converting the uh, Xbox controller into a you know a generic uh, protocols and stuff like that so it works just fine with Steam or really any game platform and also some of the game platforms will take you know these third party controllers and convert their protocols into Xbox uh, signals which makes it easier for them to work in Linux so there's that benefit so if you get an Xbox controller it's almost guaranteed to work provided it is the wired version. Now, if you have mm. a Xbox 360 wireless version, there mm -hmm. could be issues with that because it has a special proprietary uh, connector that it requires. Whereas if you get the Xbox core controller, it doesn't need that problem. It doesn't need to solve that issue. It, the wireless works better there. So it just depends on which one you have. The PS5 controller is very cool, and I've recently got one of those, and I've compared it to my experience with the Xbox, and the Xbox is more out-of-the-box supported, but the PS5 controller is, the, the drivers that are built for the PS5 controller is made by Sony themselves inside of the kernel, so there's a it's really good support, and the PS5 controller itself is very cool. I can't tell you how impressive it is to have the, like a pressure sensitivity trigger. Like you know that there's all these. Uh, some of the times they have these. Uh, mm -hmm. The older controllers have a trigger where you can just slightly add it and will be able to tell you. But it's like there's only there's a tier mark where you get you push it this much and then it activates. You push it this much then it activates. The PS5 feels like every single like millimeter you push it, it's it's telling how far it is like that is so cool in terms of like what like the technology of the controller you can do a ton of stuff and you can even do like sequence buttons with the ps5 controller because you have so much customization so personally i think the best out of the box support is the xbox controller but the more interesting controller is the ps5 how funny and yeah. ironic is it that Microsoft makes the best controller supported on Linux? <laughs> right. It is weird. It is very weird. And it's a good controller too. I mean, yeah, I, I'm owning a few of them myself. Mm -hmm. I, I uh, so there is a uh, there's a N64 emulator I play on Linux, and the Xbox 360 controller. Open. Yeah, actually, Muppin 64. Yeah. The Xbox controller is a really great stand-in replacement for the original N64 ones. And so you can get kind of a similar button layout if you just ignore some of some of the controls and works flawlessly on Muppet 64. So are you talking about the original Xbox yeah. one, the Xbox, the yeah. OG Xbox? The, three, the No, the 360. OK, well, the OG Xbox, this uh, I, I apparently have way too. I, I do a lot of emulation, I, I guess. The OG okay. Xbox controller, if you have the wired version, you can, can you can use an adapter. You will re, it will require an adapter because uh, it has a proprietary connector. Uh, but mm. when you use that one. Uh, it actually has the these these black and white buttons at the very top, so it's exactly mm -hmm. like an a, a, an N sixty four controller. Oh no way! Yeah, that's cool. Well, yeah. okay, not exactly. It doesn't have that weird <laughs> three prong thing, but it's very close. And Jill, well, I know yeah. you do a lot of gaming. What's your experience? Oh with yeah, controllers so, and Linux. Um, I have a lot of uh, generic controllers as well, and ninety nine point nine percent of them do work in Linux, and you can usually adjust the mapping within the games themselves. And if you use Steam, you can you can do it for all the Steam games, which is really nice. They have a really nice uh, uh, controller uh, gamepad mapping tool. But there are also some third-party ones that uh, you can install in Linux for a universal gamepad uh, mapping. And one of the ones I like is QJoyPad. It's text-based. It doesn't actually show you the controller itself, but you can adjust the buttons in the text-based uh, buttons. But also, one of my favorites is the SDL2 gamepad 
tool, which is actually, it shows a, a GUI of your controller and you nice. can, you know, map it just like you would in Steam. Nice. Right. So that works really well. well I'm not well. a child, so I don't play games with controllers. I use the mouse and keyboard. <laughs> so for me, it's, the, I'm, no. I'm teasing. I do, but it's just, no. I had to, come on. But I, I do love the support <laughs> of the mouse in Linux. Like the, like for yes. instance, the G903, you know, I have an application where I can map all my different mouse buttons. Uh, I'm a huge fan of BenQ Zowie mice if you're into gaming and things and want a performance mouse, which all of the changes for that can be done on the actual mouse itself through the hardware, which is really unique. But I want to say this piece, the reason why I mentioned that specifically is you should be looking for hardware that works with Linux and not just take your buy random hardware and expect that it's going to work for Linux, right? I mean, it's just like yeah. if you went and you bought a brand new Mac and then you go and get some, I don't know, Lenovo accessory and are like, why is it not working? Why is Lenovo pen not working on my Mac? Because you didn't buy the thing that works in that, in that ecosystem that you're mm -hmm. investing in. So if you're in Linux and you get frustrated because you're like, man, I got this controller and it doesn't work in Linux. That's not Linux fault, number one at all. You can write the developer and tell them, hey, would you support this thing? Because obviously it's open source. Anybody can contribute and add their drivers into it. But look for hardware specifically that works with Linux. You don't run into any of that frustration and you'll be good. I agree. And Absolutely. just to put a button on this, um, based on what Ryan said, uh, I would also like to challenge him to fight me at LAN so I can 360 no-scope him. <laughs> oh, that's rude. And challenge accepted. <laughs> and Ryan, I am a WASDA girl. <laughs> WASDA and mouse girl. 99% of the games, even the ones that say it's better to play with the controller, I'm usually playing with I know you are, Jill, and I know you're better at games <laughs> than me, but because I claimed it first, <laughs> that's I how win. it works. That's yeah. how it works. Yeah. First so I want to call our attention to what Frank did. Are you guys listening? Is everybody listening, paying attention to what Frank did? Frank wrote in and facilitated a discussion that then resulted in information being disseminated to the Linux community. So my encouragement to you is to be like Frank, <laughs> be like Frank and write into the show. We love hearing from you, our worldwide community. What we want you to do is get your official DLN mug. We want you to fill it with some coffee, some bubbly, sit down at your nearest stool, and then send an email to comments at destinationlinux.org. If it's a good enough comment, if it meets the mark, it might just facilitate another discussion here on Destination Linux. Now, if you want to be a part of the community discussion, if you don't think your comment is good enough to send in, well, then head over to dlnform.com. Those guys will tell you. And if we like it, we still might include it in the show. This episode of Destination Linux, it's brought to you by DigitalOcean. Now is the perfect time to dive into DigitalOcean and their new app platform service, which helps you build modern cloud native apps for way less money. With their app platform, you can build, deploy, and scale apps and static websites faster and easier than ever using a simple, intuitive interface. Simply point the app platform at your GitHub or GitLab repository and let DigitalOcean do all the heavy lifting. Whether you're using Node.js, Python, Go, PHP, Ruby, static sites, Docker, or container images. And by running this app platform on their own infrastructure, DigitalOcean keeps costs significantly lower than other products. Plus, it's built on top of DigitalOcean Kubernetes, which means that you're providing a smoother migration path so that you can take more control of your infrastructure and set it up too. Now, as a listener of Destination Linux and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free by building your world-changing app on their app platform for free. It gets even better. DigitalOcean is actually going to give you $100 credit when you sign up at do.co slash DLN. Again, go to do.co slash DLN to get started with your free $100 credit on DigitalOcean's new app platform. And a huge thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. We are so freaking excited to have Wukash from Pine64 back on Destination Linux Network because Pine64 has just been killing it lately. A month ago, you joined us on Destination Linux to let everyone know in an exclusive interview about the sick Linux-powered e-ink tablet that you're working on called the Pine Note. And just when we thought we reached maximum excitement, you go and decide to one-up yourselves and answer a call that many people from the community have been looking forward to. Get it? Answer a call. Come on. Not now, Michael. No dad jokes <laughs> yeah, no. during this announcement. Hey, that was a good one, though. It was good. Okay. It was a good one. <laughs> it was Mukesh, awesome. I, I think it's time to let everyone know what the excitement is all about. So, I mean, they, are, they likely already saw the title of the episode, but still, what have you all been cooking up in the Pine64 kitchen? So what we have been cooking up is the Pinephone Pro, which I know is something mm. with yeah. people having... 
hoping will end up doing. And I think that it has been clear for quite some time that it's not a question of if, it's just a question of when. And mm -hmm. uh, today, October 15th, is the date uh, two years ago since we uh, shipped the original Pine Phones out to developers. So it's just fitting to introduce the PinePhone Pro um, on this very day. This is That's such awesome. amazing news. And as a hardware guy, I've got to know in the Pro line, what kind of hardware are we putting into the PinePhone Pro? We have been working very closely with uh, Rockchip and their engineering team to alter an uh, SOC with you probably all know of, uh, which is the RK3399, which we use in uh, in the Rock Pro 64 and in the Pinebook Pro. It has been altered by their engineers. Uh, these are what's called binned chips. So they run much cooler. They run at a slower uh, clock and they're voltage locked to a particular uh, voltage, which is right. suitable for within such a small confined space as within the smartphone. The, we're pairing it with uh, four gigs of uh, LPDDR4 RAM. That's nice. That's really nice. Mm -hmm. And so this has got to be a lot more snappy then because you're taking the chip out of your ProLine laptop. You're taking the four gigs of LPDDR4 RAM at 800 megahertz. I mean, you, I'm assume you have you have in your hands one of these devices. How much snappier is it in your experience compared to the original Pine phone? It's genuinely very snappy. We have had both an experience with running already Linux builds on it. And in terms of just having, uh, you know, the UI and uh, opening applications, that's all silky smooth and it performs really well. We have also had a uh, internal build of Android from Rockchip. This is not something which is going to be here. Uh, it's something that we're not going to be shipping or making even available. This is just an engineering. Um, but it's it absolutely blew me away how well and how um, fluidly it ran on the PinePhone Pro. So yeah, it's uh, it's a well matched up piece of uh, kit. That's very awesome. nice. And then the storage and other things. What are some of the other specs on this? Yeah, so um, we're shipping it with 128 gigs of. Um, EMMC. Nice. You can fit an even bigger uh, SD card into it if you so uh, choose. We have a uh, 1440 by 720. It's called an in-cell IPS panel, which are covered by uh, Gorilla Glass 4. And uh, yeah, one of the other cool things which we have is an updated camera in the back. The main camera. So the main camera is a 13 megapixel sensor. And for the selfie or front facing camera, we are using the current PinePhone's main camera. Very nice. Oh, wow. And Wendy would love this, Michael, because she talks about this on Hardware Addicts that the best cameras put in phones are Sony. And this is a Sony IMX258 camera, correct? Yes, it is. And has really good mainline Linux support, which is one of the reasons we chose it. So it has been quite uh, broadly available for all sorts of Linux devices, um, and it performs really, really well. So we know the code is already there. It's going to just cut down on mm, enablement time. This is awesome. I this is a big upgrade, too, for like the storage. I think the this previous mm -hmm. storage of the convergence package was 32, 32 and now with yeah, 128. And plus, you said it with SD card. Do you know what the maximum support of like all in total would be? Good question. I don't. Uh, I'll go out on the limb and I'll say that I know that people have used 512 gigabytes SD cards on the Pinebook Pro and on the Rock Pro 64, so that will definitely work. But nice. I suppose a, a one terabyte card would work as well. I think these are fairly inexpensive these days as well, yeah. but uh, don't Very quote cool. me on this. Yeah, Wukash, can you tell us about the GPU? I'm I'm looking forward to hearing about this. <laughs> It's a quite, it's a really solid GPU. Um, it's the T860 uh, with four nice. cores. We have worked with Rockchip to kind of zero in on the maximum frequency that it can run within the uh, in the chassis of the PinePhone Pro, and we settled on 500 uh, megahertz. 
We are leaving the GPU unlocked. So if somebody、mm, figures out a way to utilize the GPU at a higher frequency、uh, for their purposes without having the temperatures reach a very high,、uh, very high degrees. Then we are leaving that up to to end users to experiment. Challenge accepted. Nice.、Woo-hoo. Challenge accepted. <laughs> That's very cool. Yes, but in general,、uh, our the the we we targeted for the phones、uh, SOC to reach a maximum of sixty degrees under sustained、uh, load, non artificial load. So not like running, you know. Some crazy benchmark. I mean, that will make it throttle, but、um, but but just like regular workload and having it spike at sixty degrees Celsius is、uh, what we aimed for. Nice, Wukash. You mentioned that Rockchip's engineering team have been working with you, and you have fine tuned the SOC's performance and battery consumptions and things like that. For people who maybe aren't familiar with Rockchip, could you tell us a little bit more about who the people at Rockchip are and what it's been like to work with them? Yeah, so Rockchip, they are a, a very big SOC manufacturer. We make up probably less than eight percent of、um, of their customers. They have a huge base and presence in、um, in China and mainland, but also in other Asian countries. And they have done quite a bit of work together with、uh, Google, which has proven very beneficial to us because Google. Uh, basically, forced them into mainlining the SOC, and working with them has been、uh, absolutely brilliant. We approached them quite early in the process. This would be in December of、uh, last year. We said、uh, we want to make a phone based on this SOC. It would be great if you would offer some guidance, and they did much more than that. They、uh, offered up two months of their engineers' time. To take the prototype and test it under various circumstances, as well as do some low-level enabling for us. Wow! They've worked very closely with us, as well as with、uh, some of our community developers. So it has been has been absolutely excellent.、Um, I must say that you know they are a billion-plus-dollar、uh, company, and uh, they uh, have been. Extremely welcoming to us.、Um, in the past, they have shown extreme interest in the PineBook Pro. They took it and showed it off at their booth, I think, in 2019, which was very、oh, cool. cool.、Yeah. Uh, so we felt like you know there is a reason to approach them and ask them for help, but we never expected to get、uh, as much help as we we did in the end. Very nice. Oh, that's awesome. So Wukash, it's safe to say we're so excited about this news. But we before we、uh, we dive any deeper, let's talk about two actually two of the biggest questions our audience and us <laughs>、uh, will have from this announcement. Like, what's the price of the PinePhone Pro? <laughs> the PinePhone Pro is three hundred and ninety nine US dollars. Woo!、Um, Perfect. <laughs> That puts it right, you know, in the middle of of the price of high end. Well, even less less than the middle of、yeah. what you're seeing in the market today, because mid grade phones now、About、I'm seeing go for six ninety nine high end, a thousand plus super high end now seventeen ninety nine and more. This is coming in really at a fantastic price, especially considering the supply constraints and things going on right now. Yeah, yeah,、sure. definitely. And when can we get one? So on. Today, when this、uh, episode airs on October fifteenth, as we're announcing the PinePhone Pro, we're also making development units available to developers.、Um, so they they can if if you are watching this and you are a developer, then please file an application for a coupon purchase code with us.、Uh, we will be、uh, obviously primarily targeting established project, but if you have Uh, worked with a lot of different、uh, mobile devices, have a long history, and you can show us on GitHub that you have done some excellent work. Then we're more than happy to to sell it to you at this point. But for end users,、uh, we will be opening、uh, pre-orders this year, and we hope to start shipping in December or January. 
So I sent my application in. I hope uh, as a developer that you guys accept it. Um, my GitHub has the Michael AI bot. I also forked the Michael <laughs> AI bot. So uh, I you count as a developer. The Michael AI bot. Yeah, so we should both get one. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> so oh, that's that's awesome. And I, I can't wait. Uh, so, and so far, I've liked every answer that you have given. Uh, and mm-hmm. this, this one, next one might be a doozy. Will the PinePhone Pro be powerful enough to be a daily driver? Um, yes. In terms of the hardware specs, definitely. Given the current uh, mobile uh, Linux mobile operating systems, it definitely will be uh, perfectly sufficient to be your daily driver. The reason why I hesitated is because there are obviously constraints with the operating systems themselves. And what it means, uh, you know, uh, what daily driver means to individual people is quite different. So to somebody who knows what they're getting into, absolutely. It is, uh, if you have a Pine phone and you only wish that it would be faster, more snappy, more responsive, and otherwise you're happy with what you're seeing, then yes, this will be your daily driver, no doubt. If you are a person who relies on uh, many proprietary Android applications, uh, who has all sorts of uh, requirements to watch DRM media, be it Netflix or or Amazon, then this probably will not be your daily driver. So it depends uh, how we define it. That's very cool. I mean, I'm I'm glad to hear that it is a daily driver. And I'm also, I kind of expected the software to not be there just yet. But I also wanted to say that I appreciate the, the Pine 64s and your uh, transparency and honesty. It never really ceases to amaze me because you go on your the, the page to buy the product and it gives you like a list of like, you should know who this is for before you even buy it. And there's, a, you know, that's a, a rare thing in technology at this point. So it's one of the key components of why I'm such a fan of what y'all are doing. So that's just, that's just great, really. So I, I totally understand the perspective uh, and I can't wait for the software to catch up to the hardware of this new PinePhone Pro. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, you know, I'm of the opinion that it's better to have ten happy customers than a hundred unhappy ones. It just <laughs> it makes uh, much more sense to let people what they're getting into. We've had, you know, we've had some people. Uh, purchased a Pine phone with certain expectations and then being really unhappy. And um, that's not good for anyone. It's not good for the person who purchased the device and it's not good for us or our community. So I have no issue with telling people exactly what it is that they're getting into. Wukash, one thing I am a little concerned about is what the plan for the original Pine Phone is going to be. I'm glad that we have the new Pine Phone Pro and we're all very excited to play with it and potentially use it as a daily driver. But what about those of us that have been served extraordinarily well by the original Pine Phone? Are you going to be continuing to offer those configurations? Uh, and what about the convergence flavor? Absolutely. Both of the current PinePhone offerings. So that would be the regular PinePhone for $150, as well as the Convergence Edition for $200. It's uh, it's going to be around for as long as there's demand for it and as long as we can source components um, for it. My estimate is that we have now outsold the previous uh, most sold uh, Linux phone by tenfolds. Uh, so I think it has become the de facto standard for development, uh, mobile Linux development. So I, I don't think that we're going to be seeing the Pine phone going away anytime soon. And, uh, there's nothing to worry about there. There's also a group of people, uh, and this kind of relates to the previous topic we spoke about the, the Pine phone pro being or not being somebody's daily driver, there's a group of people who just want to toy around with Linux operating systems on a phone. And the PinePhone makes that incredibly easy. And uh, it's an affordable way to get into it and see if you like it, if you if you find this thrilling. So there's, uh, you know, there's definitely a market for that. And I think that it's going to be uh, the de facto development platform for years to come. I, I, I'm, I fit that that criteria of wanting to play with the phone. And that's one of the reasons I got it. So uh, that's very cool. And the, also the convergence package, uh, I have 
turn I have used that doc so much that it's kind of become <laughs> in, it, ridiculous uh, and it's it's such a nice thing so it, I, I assume that's going to be in, uh, compatible with the Pinephone Pro as well absolutely yes we will be definitely making a, um, a doc for the uh, Pinephone Pro as well in the future we have already been looking at uh, doing this so this would include USB uh, 3.0 ports as well as uh, gigabit ethernet but speaking of component shortages uh, there are no gigabit ethernet chips on the market as in like they're gone they vanished poof they're gone there's uh, no possibility of sourcing any so it's not going to be happening right now but when we can we definitely will be making a dock for the pinephone pro as well with additional functionality so talking about the industry as a whole right now Everything is in short supply. Components for refrigerators, cars, computers, all of this stuff. It's hard, especially in the telecom world, to get any stock at all. I know people are going to need to be quick, probably, because nobody's immune to the supply chain issue. But how is the production level on this? Do you suspect you're going to run out very quick of stock? Uh, Will people be able to get their hands on this phone? Or is it one of those things where this global shortage is really going to impact? So we have gone to quite some extent and have like measures in place to make sure that all the most important components, that being the main SOC, being RAM, the displays, and all the things that make up the phone, obviously the shells are not a big issue because that's something which we can produce ourselves as our mold for the phone. Um, so in the short term, I don't think there will be any major disruption to the production of the Pinephone Pro. Um, but as I was telling you prior to, prior to the show, uh, to the show starting, uh, Chinese New Year 2022 is an event horizon. We <laughs> cannot see past this. Um, our factory is uh, allowed to work for two days a week currently. And that is the hard limit for how long they can operate. Um, whether this situation is going to get worse uh, next year, and this isn't just the factory which we're working with that's affected. All factories have been imposed hard limits on how long they can work during the week. So uh, this is going to lead to dramatically worse uh, availability of components. And I mean, if it spills into things such as, you know, you can't get screws, I mean, this sounds inconceivable right now, but trust me, in nine months, this may be very, very real. Yeah. Wow. If a big player yeah. comes in and buys up all the screws from the market. So, uh, long story short, there aren't, there's nothing at risk in the short term, not within the next couple of months. What's going to happen after Chinese New Year? I cannot predict and no one can. So, Wukash, let's talk about the Pinephone accessories. We've mentioned it a little bit, like the new keyboard add-on. Will these add-ons be compatible with the Pinephone Pro? They will. We knew that making a new phone, um, we want to maintain compatibility with all the uh, add-ons which we're working on. So the keyboard is going to work with the regular Pinephone as well as the Pinephone Pro. Same thing goes for the uh, back cases. So the fingerprint mm-hmm. reader, the LoRa back case, and the wireless charging. That's all going to be working with both of the of the units. Uh, the only thing that will not work with the Pinephone Pro, to my knowledge, is the current uh, covers. So we're going to have to make new covers for it. It's just because the Pinephone Pro is uh, slightly thicker than the original Pinephone. Oh, okay. So you still have all the privacy options as well on this one, such as the kill switches, the physical kill switches on the back for the camera, the Mm -hmm. Wi-Fi, all of that? Exactly. Very nice. Yes. Wukash, before we let you go, is there anything else that we didn't ask that we should have asked you? Anything (laughs) that you'd like to let anybody know? Yes, I suppose there's one thing. Um, on the same day, so today as this airs, we're also opening up um, pre-orders for the Pine Note to developers. Yeah. Woo! Nice. Yay! Nice. So, <laughs> Very cool. Again, me and Ryan are so, developers. Just to yes. put that out there. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so, yeah. That's awesome. We, uh, we're making both of these devices available to devs on the same day. So, 
if you are a developer watching this, especially if you have experience with uh, e-paper devices, then mm -hmm. we would welcome your application to get a unit at this time. Very nice. That's awesome. Uh, and I also just want to make a real quick comment because you mentioned how it's going to be slightly thicker. And I, and I think that's actually, I, I looked at the, the information on the blog post that you released today and it says the, the chassis of the phone is slightly thicker by about two millimeters. And I kind of find this refreshing because, and I know that people are going to be like, why would that be refreshing? Well, I think it's because uh, a lot of the time you'll see people brag about making their phones thinner. And mm. to do so, they compromise on something making it like uh, a worse experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or battery life. Yeah, so I think it's good. And so thanks for caring about improvements over arbitrary thickness race. I mean, I don't need a super thick phone with two Cs, uh, but, you know, it's not going to be that. It's just a few, a couple millimeters. So it's not like a, a the brick phone from Saved by the Bell or anything like that. So <laughs> I'm glad that you mm -hmm. you are putting more effort into improving the performance and experience rather than chasing the pointless thinness race. That's right. I yes, I agree. I mean, we we were considering, you know, uh, how thin should it be, and at a point when we real realize that it may affect. Uh, performance of the SOC and that it is much more important to have the SOC run nice and cool and have a little bit more space and a little bit more of a um, thermal padding. We realized that, you know, let's change the mold. Let's make it a bit thicker. Let's give the SOC a little bit more room to breathe. Nice. Love it. Awesome. That's awesome. So there you have it, folks. Uh, Pine64 has done it again. Oh, and it it, it, right, yeah. I want one. It feels like this at this rate, we might have to have Wukash on once a month to talk about all the awesome stuff that you're doing. Uh, no pressure on that, though. I mean, if, if you happen to have something, just let us know. <laughs> I keep saying that I just want to set up a monthly plan where I just pay a monthly amount of money to Pine, and then you guys just send me the latest innovation yeah, there you go. when they come out. And I, that way, we, why are we pretending that I'm not going to, say, take my money on this? So I, I <laughs> right. think you need to look into that next. Right. Just every time there's... The, oh, also, real quick, speaking of that, if you want to find out when you can get certain types of products that you may not have and you want to add it to your Pine64 collection, they have a page on their website that tells you when the, the shipments and availability of each product is coming out. And I didn't know that until just recently. And when I saw that and like, I basically was like, ooh, the Pinebook Pro is coming back in, in pretty soon. So uh, bookmark... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> I still need one of those. I have the original Pine book and I got my Same. Pine time. <laughs> yeah. You know what my phone. son's rocking now, Jill, in school? He goes to school and he's so proud is his Pine time. He rocks the oh, Pine time awesome. in school. Nice. And no it's kidding. so cool to see everybody like react to it. And he's like, all oh, the kids are jealous of my watch. I'm like, yeah, because they can't get one. Their parents wouldn't even know about it. Yeah. Their parents aren't into technology. Let me give a huge shout out to the main developer behind Infinity Time, JF, an absolute oh. wizard. And uh, Luke Yen, he, both of them have, you know, built an entire community of their own behind the Pine Time. They've done an incredible job. You know, there wouldn't be a product without them and their hard work. Incredible stuff. That's awesome. And the Pine Time is like when I took it out of the box and I thought, you know, 35 bucks with the shipping included and that kind of thing. I'm like, okay, I, I yeah. know it's Pine 64. I know it's going to be a good, well-packaged thing. and But it's it's so impressive. It even has like the magnetic uh, charging system and all that stuff. That blew and, me away because you yeah. can get four or $500 Garmin watches, by the way, that don't have the <laughs> that magnetic. That don't have that. Yeah. yeah, like I was shocked when I opened it up and it had a magnetic base. I was like, for 35 bucks? I mean, that's yeah. the shipping? Are you kidding me? You guys are crazy over there, but I love your style of crazy. I love it. <laughs> I love your style of crazy. <laughs> yeah, I do too. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, uh, Wukash, for this uh, exclusive on DLN. We can't, we can't uh, thank you enough. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So there you have it. There is the interview with Wukash from Pine64. And I just got to say, I am super excited about getting the phone. I We talked in the, mm -hmm. in the interview with Wukash about Ryan and I being developers. Unfortunately, that didn't seem to have worked yet, but I'm still working on it. <laughs> Heck. <laughs> but I'm definitely going to be getting one. So I'm totally going to get it. In fact, I'm ordering two. I'm getting one for me and one for my wife. <laughs> 
$3.99, what an awesome price. <laughs> yeah, really, for phones these days. I'm actually, the whole yeah. thing surprised me. The interview was fantastic. But number one, the partnership with Rockchip, I think, was absolutely oh, yeah, amazing, considering, mm-hmm. like he even said, we're only like 8% of their total orders. But the fact that Rockchip was willing to work with them like that, I think, speaks volumes about them as a company. So that I made mean, me 8% very happy. 8% of Rockchip yeah. is still pretty, for us I a mean, lot. it's still good, but yeah. honestly, with the supply chain the way it is right now, oh, uh, somebody who only has 8% of something is generally getting completely ignored. So the fact that they're able to have such a good relationship yeah. with them is very impressive in this current state. Point. And getting a phone out these days with the cost of phones averaging, starting at your mid-grade phones, 600, 700 bucks, Mm-hmm. This is a really fantastic phone to get people's hands on. And I just really want to support a different type of device in the market. We were talking about the fact that when you look at these phones and you look at their privacy, their privacy policies, like for instance, Samsung and things like that, just go look at the privacy policy of the phone you're using right now. Look up the manufacturer, look at their privacy policy and prepare to throw up. I want a different phones in the market, different manufacturers, different software, we need it in this world more because we have more personal data on our phones than anywhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. I have more personal data on this phone than I have on my main PC. Mm-hmm. And so, and yet I have the least amount of privacy and things with it. So we need a true Linux operating system out there that can give us the features that we can expect that we have to, those of us have work and things that required apps. And, and I think, Things what Pine64 here is doing is getting us closer to that mark. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is a game changer. This is the Linux phone we've all been wanting, and we've all been wanting to recommend to our family and friends. <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> and it's not a slouch uh, phone either. It's not like you're, yeah. you're compensating. So it's not like a super powerhouse iPhone killer kind of thing. But at the same time, it's also not priced that way. Unlike no, we're naming other this episode games. iPhone Killer released. Yeah. Oh, that's what other YouTubers Well, in that case, my clickbait does work, it seems. All, all joking aside, though, really, if you think about it, what, what define an iPhone killer? Define what that would be, right? Well, it would be a phone that is made by a company who works closely or it develops in-house the operating system so that the software and the hardware work hand-in-hand. Check. Yes. It would be a phone that's designed with vision in mind, not something imitating something else that is in the market, not something that is just there because the company needs to produce a buck, but because they actually want to serve a customer by producing a unique product that fulfills the customer's need. Check. It would be a phone that doesn't have any compromises in the actual build of the phone. So the original Pine phone was just a, hey, can this work? Now they've taken it to the next level and decided, no, we're going to produce a phone that could be somebody's phone that they would pick up every single day and use day in and day out. It's the Pine Phone Pro. Check. Absolutely. I think that does a reasonably (laughs) good job of impersonating an iPhone killer. That's it's an interesting perspective, but I do have to say that the first part you mentioned about uh, I, I agree with everything except that first part because you said about the in-house development of the OS. Uh, yeah. Pine sixty four is not doing in-house development of their OS. No, but they're working directly with but the Manjaro. I think it's to- better that they're not because they're they're working exactly like you said. They're working with the community because like they're actually working with many different OSs and they have yes. the default with Manjaro, but they're also that's doing true. work with Ubuntu Touch and all these other things. And I think that's a, a fantastic example of them being good patrons of the community and the ecosystem. And it's so it's not necessarily an in-house thing, but I think it's kind of better how they're doing it. You're right, Michael. I stand corrected. Apple has one software development department. Manjar or the PinePhone people have found a way to do nine all at once. Even better. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> yep. This episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com slash DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome piece of software. It is a password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do that? Well, Bitwarden provides lots of various different tools. For example, you could store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate passwords for you, and even automatically fill in passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. And you can access your data across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, your mobile application, your desktop application, or even on the command line, Bitwarden gives you all of these options, and it seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption, 
locally on your devices before it ever leaves your devices so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is an incredibly important piece for a password manager to do, and it's one of the reasons I'm a big fan of Bitwarden. So get started right now at bitwarden.com slash DLN. And did I mention you can get started for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium accounts because it starts at less than a dollar per month. That's right. For less than a dollar per month, you get one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, a Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, priority customer service, and so much more. So make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started for less than a dollar per month. And if you have friends and family who've never used a password manager, they also have a friends and family system or also business accounts that you can set up and help people get started with the password manager easily and quickly. And you can even share passwords securely back and forth within those accounts. It's just awesome. So check it out, bitwarden.com slash DLN. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring Destination Linux. So next up in the show, we have some interesting news to talk about, and that is related to NTFS, or the new technology file system that was created in the 90s, so very new. While Linux has had multiple workarounds for accessing these this NTFS, which is a proprietary Windows file system, such as the uh, captive NTS driver that's in the kernel, and also the NTFS 3G uh, driver, and we've had it over the years many options. But there's you know the support has been lacking for some of them, and alternatives are not without the caveats that, that exist. Like sometimes there's speed issues, sometimes there's breaking depending on how much files you put through it, you know that or how large the files are, that sort of stuff. And since it's Almost Halloween, whether it's a trick or treat, mm -hmm. Linux 5.15 kernel will include Microsoft NTFS by Paragon support thanks to an open source contribution from Paragon themselves. And having direct kernel support and a guarantee from Paragon to support the driver is a huge win, even though it's been slow process to get started with getting them in there because they've been working on getting the drivers inside of the kernel for a while. And but they but the the biggest piece is that they actually have a commitment to maintaining that code, which is one of the things that we've had issues with in the past with the NTFS support, because we've actually had some times where they it got a little stale. So this is just fantastic news. Whether you, I mean if if you need to use an NTFS drive, fortunately I do not, but if you do need to it's kind of hit or miss depending on what configuration you are, you use. And I think this is going to be fantastic overall for the experience of Linux users. I feel like this helps take Linux to a, I mean, we've had this support before, but there, there's been some issues there, but things like this, perfecting these types of things inside Linux, make it so much easier for people to move to Linux and stay there in environments where they have to work with multiple types of machines in their environment. So this is very important. There is some funny things that happened, I think, throughout this adventure. Number one, before we go through some of these funny things, I just want to say I'm a huge fan that Paragon made this available, and I'm very excited about it, and I'm so happy they're doing this work. They obviously didn't have to, and they did, but there were some funny things that took place in the mailing list while they were going through this process. <laughs> yeah. Like The first one is they pushed like 27,000 lines of code saying, hey, this is our code for NTFS support. And one of the devs in the mailing list said, so how exactly do you expect someone to review this monstrosity? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Was one of the first responses. And then of course, you know, Linus himself chimed in and his big focus in this was really making sure that number one, hey, you guys are really going to support this thing, right? You're not going to just dump it in the kernel and then go away and we have to try to maintain it, which they guaranteed that they would. And also making sure that the legalities were covered and that there's going to be no confusion about the licensing of this that's been signed off properly and all of that. Um, this journey started in 2020 with Paragon. No matter how many hurdles they've gone through, I'm just so happy that we have another company contributing to the Linux kernel and in a way that I think will benefit a lot of people that have to work with NTFS. Yeah. Well, I myself am looking forward to using Paragon's new NTFS driver in Linux, especially on some of my older machines that I do still have Windows on. Because the old NTFS driver was horribly slow at writing to NTFS and had huge performance issues. In fact, the current NTFS 3G driver will actually cause your entire system to lock up while you're writing a lot of files, and then it will remain unresponsive until it's finished. <laughs> Wow. It's been That's a horrible, huh? horrible experience. I just got done backing up some of my old uh, NTFS drives from years ago, and 
yeah, it, it was an adventure. <laughs> yeah, this will be a much bigger improvement for that situation because the the NTFS 3G, I'm pretty sure, is a user space config yeah. implementation, which is what means is that it's not actually using the kernel. It's sitting on top of a higher layer, Correct. which is why it takes longer. And this this is very good news for anyone who has to deal with Windows in any significant amount because NTFS is really the only file system you're, you're going to practically use in Windows. There are other file systems it supports, but there's really no reason to use them. So people just typically use NTFS. So if you ever need, if you have a Windows machine on your network, or if you just have to use a Windows machine for whatever reason, this is going to be very useful for you. And I am so thankful that that someone took on took on the task of doing this because it makes it a lot easier for people to transition to Linux as well. Because if they have NTFS drives from their computer, it might be difficult to transverse, trans, uh, transition that data <laughs> over if they don't have support for NTFS. Yeah. You know, particularly if you work in a mixed environment, NTFS, as much as we don't like it, has some advantages because your choices, when you have file sizes above two or four gigabytes, um, mm-hmm. when you have file sizes that are 10 gigabytes, let's say that, uh, you wind up in, in a weird pickle because your choices are either XFAT or NTFS. Those are the only two file systems that are going to bounce between a number of different operating systems. And all of them kind of have challenges, but NTFS is kind of the most widely understood because if you go to Best Buy and walk out of there with a hard drive, chances are, a little USB portable hard drive, right? Chances are it's formatted uh, as NTFS. And so this, yeah, removes tons of obstacles for people, particularly those that work in system administration. Yeah, um, and a uh, good point, Noah. You remember how long it took for us to get a good XFAT driver on Linux? Mm. <laughs> Anything yeah. Microsoft takes a long yep. time. Yeah. <laughs> this is awesome work, Paragon. Thank you so much Yay. for this contribution here. And I think this is going to help a lot of people out in their Linux journey, especially since Windows 11 is coming and everyone's going to be switching to Linux anyways. Exactly. Woohoo! Okay, so if you ever wanted to pretend to be Bo Weaver, we have the game for you. <laughs> Woohoo! Get your Leet Hacker hat on with this hacking game. It's called Midnight Protocol. And on Steam, Midnight Protocol is described like this. Midnight Protocol is a tactical narrative-driven RPG with unique keyboard-only controls. Hack into servers, beat security systems, and discover encrypted secrets while you try to find answers to why and how you got doxxed. Ooh. <laughs> you assume the mantle of a prominent hacktivist named Data, who recently got doxxed and has been targeted for blackmail by a shadowy branch of government. And you interact with the virtual environment through your home terminal that requires nothing more than your keyboard. And yes, this home terminal is referred to as a deck, not unlike the Steam Deck. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. Because you could play this on your Steam Deck, couldn't you, Jill? Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I actually love hacking games. Um, this one's like Hacknet that that uses the keyboard as the main tool because, well, you know, that just actually makes sense. Right. <laughs> and the interface is actually the OS. And I love games that do that. Do this. Yes. And in this case, it's M.OS, or stands for Midnight OS. And what's cool is when you first start playing, you respond to emails with predefined autocompletes. Yes, you don't don't write your own emails as you're writing. It autocompletes. And this actually sets the story for the game. And then you get to access nodes on the network and start hacking. And the visuals are really beautiful. It's really, really well done. And yeah, even though it's a keyboard-driven GUI, don't worry, it doesn't look like rat poison. (laughs) (laughs) And and the thing is, Jill, you can change your OS theme here, which makes it actually the video game more impressive than Mac OS customization capabilities. (laughs) Yes. That's incredible. (laughs) Yeah, you can uh, uh, change your OS theme, write a memo, or even play hacker chess when actually, when you first start the game, even before you start playing, which is a lot of fun. And it's, it's, Really cool, actually. Midnight Protocol was just released when uh, this last Wednesday, October thirteenth, with a free demo. You can download and play on Linux, 
And it's now on sale on Steam for 10% off at $13.49. And it's well worth it. Fair. I've oh, already yeah. played about an hour. <laughs> Being able to pretend I'm Bo Weaver, I told him I hacked into this major mainframe and he was not impressed because once he found out it was a video game, but still... I was yeah. impressed with myself. All you had to so do is say that, that you, you went into Visual Studio and made a GUI to track their IP. That's all you <laughs> needed to do. And that will impress Bo completely, for sure. Oh, awesome. Well, Bo is completely impressed by Visual Studio. Yes. Yeah. That's a reference from uh, some nonsense CSI show or something. Those are the best. I love seeing hacker scenes in these shows like that aren't about yeah. hacking, so they just randomly throw some stuff in. You've always got the like... 3D vortex of things that they're separating and breaking into too. I'm like, if only hacking yeah. was that Th exciting. This is actually <laughs> somewhat relevant, and I, I just have to tell you because it's it's a it's it's a hilarious story that I didn't know until I made a video about it, and someone like you you know it's real. So there's this this whole thing about all these different movies and TV shows doing these uh, hacking things or these technology things, and they exaggerate everything into a ridiculous nature that is just absurd. That's based on like a concept they called it's a Unix system, where it's referencing from Jurassic Park in 1993 oh, about yeah. showing when you go into the file manager and it's like she's like it's a Unix system I know this and then you <laughs> see all this ridiculous nonsense about going into this 3D file manager thing. Mm -hmm. That file manager is real. Yeah, it that, sure is. That is not Made by Sun. That is the thing <laughs> it is named after is not an exaggeration. It's a real thing yeah. from the 90s. <laughs> Is Jurassic Park real too? Uh, You're blowing based, my based mind right on now. the based on the facts of that being real, you have to just assume that everything else in that movie is real. That's what I say. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> if you want to be a good hacker, there is one piece of advice you see in movies that is absolutely solid, one hundred percent verified by Bo Weaver. No, I didn't really verify with Aww. him. Is that you got to have good music? You've got to have yes. really good music playing while you're hacking. Have you ever watched Swordfish or any of those movies? They got good music going on while they're hacking. And so I'm going to help you get good hacking music <laughs> here. And to do that, you can download an app called Tuner. And this Tuner software basically is an internet radio station tuner and shuffler to help you discover new music from all around the world. A quick shuffle, you'll be listening to music from Hungary, Greece, Germany, France, the U.S., Italy, and more. They also have lots of popular trending stations, so you can pick stations out there that other people are listening to if you don't want to do the research yourself. And you can also select your music by genre here. This tool is absolutely fantastic. It's available as a flat pack. I was using it this week when I was doing some Python coding. I was trying to fix Michael AI bot from locking Noah into his garage. I don't know what's wrong <laughs> with it yet, but it's just a thing. I'm working on it. But I had to have good music need to work for three on days. It. Yeah, Naturally. it took three days for him mm -hmm. to get out of it. Um, but I also found, Michael, that the developer wrote his own personal story here about him getting into development. And I know a lot of people aspire to start writing software for Linux. And I thought maybe you could read that because it's really cool. Yeah, definitely. The story is really interesting. So Lewis77 says, I've started Tuner in May 2020 when COVID-19 began to change our lives and provided me with some time to finally learn things that I couldn't do during my day-to-day -day life as a professional developer. I moved from macOS to Linux as a daily driver, learned a little about Linux programming, and chose Vala as the language for Tuner. At the time, I was running elementary OS, and they have excellent documentation for beginner developers on how to build nice-looking apps for elementary. That helped out a lot to get started with all the new stuff. At the time, I never expected Tuner to be installed by the thousands on uh, of other like other great distros that are available, like Larch. Uh, Larch. <laughs> <laughs> How do you? How I don't dare know. you? I don't. By how the way, dare you, large, Michael? Apparently, <laughs> like Arch, MX Linux, Ubuntu, Fedora, and others. In August 2020, I released Tuner as a Flatpak app, and it was installed over 18,000 times on FlatHub alone ever since. Users began to send me their app, their appreciations, but also bug reports and feature requests. And some friendly contributors made Tuner available on MX Linux and the Arch AUR. Maybe it was around this time when I started to feel not only the euphoria that comes with open source projects, but also the weight of responsibility. I feared to move on because I didn't want to break things, so I just took a break. Yet users kept sending me bug reports and feature requests, and, and I want to turn I want Tuner to live on and be the best tiny internet radio receiver for the Linux environment. So this is awesome. I loved his story here of getting involved in Linux. I love the fact that he got so much inspiration from the community. And I think this is why it's important. If you download an app 
you find it on GitHub, anywhere else, or you just start using it, find the developer, send them a nice email thanking them for solving that. I was mentioning F-Droid earlier, and I found a really cool keyboard app in there. I was able to donate $5 to them really quickly through that. I love that F-Droid provides that. Uh, if you can do something monetarily, that even helps more. But those emails, right? Something more than just bug reports, but actually saying thank you for this software mm -hmm. is really important here. And you can see the impact that it has directly on developers. And I love that this developer included their personal story with their actual application on GitHub. That's awesome. Because that made me love it like mm -hmm. that much more because it just made it personal. Yeah, that's awesome. So awesome. It's very important. Like, you know, you're saying basically a thank you goes a long way. Yeah. And th there's a lot of times where people like expect that the, you know, they're, they're creating something from open source and they're just kind of doing a code dump. But uh, there's a, there's a, a case where if you just let people know that you appreciate it, that will give them more motivation to do it. And because if you've ever been in a project for this kind of thing, whether you're on the documentation side or you're on the development side or whatever, you'll see a lot more uh, feature requests or bug reports and that kind of thing. And it kind of makes it seem like people are just finding issues and whatnot. So just telling people that you appreciate what they're doing and thanking them for doing it, you're going to give them a lot more motivation to continue or even make more stuff. So if you are using anything that you are a big fan of and you haven't let them know, be sure to do that because it will make a very big impact. You never told me thank you for Michael A.I. bought. You're right. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're not making a big impact, Michael. <laughs> well, I'd have to appreciate it first. So, <laughs> All right, Noah, what's our tip of the week this week? Our tip of the week, we're focusing on NFS this week. Now, if you've not heard of NFS, it's the network file system. It's a way that you can set your Linux system up to be one step ahead of those Windows machines. Now, we've all probably dealt with Samba shares, and Samba's a great file system and works across macOS, Windows, and Linux, so it's a great way to share files across the network. But when you need a little extra performance or when you need to use an application that isn't designed to be used uh, over the network, NFS can allow you to cheat a little bit. So first of all, you're going to get a little better performance with NFS. And secondly, it, it shows up to the remote computer as if it's a local file system. So that allows you to save directly to it edit directly from it, so on and so forth. And so I use it all the time uh, for video editing over NFS with a 10 gig fiber link. Anyway, so to get started, the first thing you're going to want to do after you've set up your NFS server, which is as simple as going into your FreeNAS box and turning on the NFS service and creating a share, you're going to want to try to mount that share on your local machine before we add it to f-steps. So you're going to do something like sudo mount tech t nfs, then the IP address of the nfs server, so let's say 10.10.0.10, and then the path to that nfs. And then we're going to put a space and we're going to decide where we want to mount that nfs share once we see that that works and we browse to slash mount slash NFS slash backups and we see that, oh, yep, there indeed is our NFS share. There's all of our remote files. Now we want to add it to F-Step so that when the computer boots up, it automatically mounts this NFS share for us. And so to do that, we're going to open F-Step uh, and we're going to add an entry. I'm going to add a couple of other options. Auto, no fail, no a time, no lock, uh, INTR, TCP, and action timeout or A-C-T-I-M-E-O equals 1800. And then a space zero, space zero. We'll have all of this written down for you in the show notes. What that's going to do is prevent, uh, it's going to add some arguments to prevent NFS from locking up in case your network disconnects or you lose momentarily the connection back to the server. Um, because obviously when you do have NFS, the, 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 the upside is it's going to function like a local file system. The downside is if you rip it out from under it, well, you've just, basically ripped a hard drive away from your computer and it doesn't really know what's happening. And so that can cause funny behavior. Let's just leave it at that. So NFS, a better way to connect your remote file system, probably one of the only ways you should do it if you're trying to do intensive tasks like editing files, uh, editing video files, doing live video editing over a network, stuff like that. You're going to get a little bit more performance out of it. It's not as hard as you might have thought it was. So check out the tip and trick. We'll have it documented in the show notes. Make sure to check out past episodes if you'd like to learn anything from uh, Docker up to things like NFS. And make sure, of course, to come back next week for another tip and trick right here on Destination Linux. Uh, and also, I do like the point. I'm, I'm, I'm glad you put in this one of the parameters. And of course you did for Noah time. Yeah. Ah, it's I Noah know. Time I was like, like I don't want to be on <laughs> Noah time. <laughs> it's wanna... Noah time like now. <laughs> or maybe I do. Now I want to be on Noah time. <laughs> yeah, that was perfect. 
<laughs> All right. So before we close out, I want to cover some Linux events going on. We, of course, have the Seagull we mentioned last week, which is Seattle GNU Conference. This is being held on November 5th and 6th online, and it's open to professionals and enthusiasts alike. So if you want to get involved with communities, definitely check out the various Linux events that are occurring. But that's one you can put on your calendar there. And Fedora 35 beta testing is still going on right up until the release. So get involved in the beta testing there. There's a fantastic article on fedoramagazine.org on September 28th that has all the instructions of how you can get involved and do bug reports and things like that. But go install Fedora on your machines. Do some of that testing. It's one of the easiest ways you can get involved in helping open source projects out there. And we want Fedora and all the projects that launch in Linux to be a huge success. And you can be a part of that story. And also be sure if you have an event to send us the event and let us know, and we might cover it on the show and let people know about it. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for watching by listening. However you do it, we love your faces. And if you want more DL, you can become a patron like all the beautiful people behind the scenes in the Jitsi only room. They get real time audio. They get to hang out with all the crew and talk to us and send us messages and things throughout the show. And we have a lot of fun with our patrons. So consider becoming a patron, help and support this show. And of course, we are here every single Sunday. In addition, every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, we're now live at DLNlive.com. The best part, everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. And we can't wait to see you in the chat. And also go right now to DLNstore.com. You can check out some cool swag we got, like Jill is showing off the mug and also the hat that, that Ryan is rocking. We have the Linux 91 stuff. We have uh, Destination Linux stuff. Every, every show on the network has some really cool swag, and you get T-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, backpacks, aprons, all sorts of great stuff at DLNstore.com. And make sure to check out all the wonderful shows here on the Destination Linux Network. We have the Pseudo Show, the Ask Noah Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, DLN Extend, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and get your Fedora hat on with the Fedora podcast. Everyone head to destinationlinux.network and subscribe to all these great shows. And please don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source to keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week and remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. Thanks everyone. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>